I am, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, we're taking a break from the book of Mark. We walked through the first two chapters together, and we are going to uh, reconvene at Mark at a later time. But now as we enter into a a season of thanksgiving, uh, I can't help but think of the Psalms. And we'll get to a more specific Thanksgiving message as we get closer to Thanksgiving, but man, I love the Psalms. Uh, And I just get excited every time I open up the Psalms. Um, God has laid it on my heart to read the Psalms every day in my devotional time because they are words of prayer. And so today we're going to dive into the Psalms and we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. The title of our message today, as you can see on the screen, is Satisfying the Thirsty Soul. Satisfying the Thirsty Soul. So when we're talking about thirsty, let me start with the physical before we get to the spiritual. Can you think of a time in your life when you were the most physically thirsty? Can you remember when and what that was like? I I think of several moments in my life where I felt so physically thirsty, I did not think I would make another moment. Uh, It happened all the time when I was a kid. I'd go out in the backyard and run around until I was dizzy, until my mother had to run outside with a, a cup of sunny delight to recharge me. So I remember what it was like to be thirsty as a kid. But I also had an experience as an adult I would be willing to say most of you have probably had, okay? When I worked in professional baseball in the Florida State League, we stayed in these really cheap Econo Lodge hotels. And if you ever stay in a cheap hotel with one of those air conditioning units about the size of a ship, and you crank it all the way up to 60 degrees, and then draw the curtains and go to sleep, and you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, your throat is like the Mojave Desert, And it has happened to me over and over and over again. And I just remember, and now I've been told many times, you never drink soda when you're thirsty because it doesn't really replenish. But I can just tell you how many times I would sleep in those hotels and I would leave spare change on the nightstand because I knew at 4 o'clock I was going to get up and put that change in and get get myself an A&W root beer because for some reason when I was that thirsty, only a root beer would hit that spot. I remember being that thirsty. And then I also remember uh, years later, uh, there was a short season where I worked in landscaping. And I went home to northern Pennsylvania, and I spent one summer uh, where for three straight weeks it was triple digits. And that was the only time in my life that I can honestly say, behind someone's house, I did the army crawl to a garden hose and drank the hottest water you could ever taste and was glad that I had it. But all of you probably at some point in your life remember physically what it is like to be thirsty, to have that that desire to drink something. You know your body's missing something, and the only thing that's going to fill that that missing ingredient is something cold and replenishing. That's physical thirst. But the scriptures, when they talk about that physical thirst, points us to a spiritual thirst. And that's a thirst that we have that can only be filled by God himself. But as human beings, we do everything we can to quench that thirst without God. In fact, I, just, I was just praying through this, ways that we try to quench that thirst. We have a desire to have purpose in life. We have a desire to have fulfillment in life. We have a desire to have meaning and, and joy. And, and we think the things of the world are going to bring us that meaning and that joy and that purpose and that quenching of thirst. And so when we can't find it, what do we do? Well, we refinance, and we get houses that are bigger. We get trucks that are louder. We get boats that are faster. We get clothes that are nicer. We get vacations that are longer. We get TV screens that are wider. We get trophy cases that are fuller. And you know what? That doesn't quench our thirst either. 
Because we have a God-shaped vacuum in the heart that cannot be filled by any created thing but by the Creator Himself. So today, we are mindful of those things that we try to quench our thirst with. But like drinking salt water, I don't know if anyone's ever drank salt water, it offers a false promise, but it actually makes you more thirsty after you drink it. Instead, let's, let us look at the Scriptures. Today in, in Psalm 63, we're going to read words of both lament and praise from King David as he's fleeing into the desert wilderness with a thirsty soul. And as he flees for his life seeking justice under severe persecution, he meditates with his mind and his heart on the wonder and all-satisfying blessing of God's love and his abiding presence. It is in these words of meditation from David that we find three ways that God satisfies the thirsty human soul. So, if you have a soul that is thirsty today and you want to know how God and God alone can quench that thirst, I beg you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 63. Okay? Turn to Psalm 63. We're going to read the whole psalm. All right? There's just 11 verses. And if you would stand in the tradition of this church and out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy Inerrant, infallible word. Let's read God's word here in Psalm 63 together. Starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 63, a psalm of David. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, thank you for today. We praise you for this day that you have made. And Father, we come into your house today as your people reading your word and confessing before you, we have thirsty souls that only your love and only your presence can quench. And so, Father, we pray that your love and that your presence and that your abiding Holy Spirit would saturate us in the sanctuary here today. Father, show us the root of our desire to be quenched and the joy of knowing that it is only you, but it is you who desires to quench our thirsty souls. Father, thank you for all it is that you do, and be with us at this time as we read your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Satisfying the thirsty soul. Well, before we talk specifically about Psalm 63, I just want to say one quick word about the Psalms. Again, I think it's so important. The Bible can be so confusing 
If we don't take a moment and say, what is different about the book I'm reading now versus the last book that I was reading in Scripture? All right, we were reading Mark the past few months. Mark's a gospel. It's a narrative account of the life of Jesus Christ. But now we're in the Psalms today. So what's, what makes the Psalms different? Because it's all God's Word in the Scriptures, right? Well, the Psalms are 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers. Many of them are written by David, okay, inspired of the Holy Spirit. This is one of them. There's 73 of those 150 are written by King David. And many of these were used by choirs who were singing in Israel's temple in the Old Testament. Not all of them, but many of them. But it's not primarily a hymn book. It's a prayer book. These are the prayers of God's people, inspired of God's Spirit. And it, and it leads us into prayer and worship. And what I love about the Psalms is they're honest. Sometimes we come into the church and we're just not honest. We put on our Sunday best. We clean shaven, you know, we've, we've had our showers and our hairs have been done the way that we want them to be done. Our hair's done did, however you want to say it. And we come to the church and we try to act like everything is okay. And we know it's not. What I love about the Psalms is that we see words of lament, that is weeping and crying out to God, and we, we see words of praise. And isn't that a part of what our worship service is here today? A lot of us are in a lot of pain, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And, there, and it's okay. The human condition leads us to lament to God and say, God, why? God, help me. God, how long? But there's also words of praise. In the midst of our pain, we know who it is that is with us in the midst of that struggle, of that trial. And it's God. And it leads us to the praise of Him. It reminds us of other times in our life, maybe when we were in uh, moments of turmoil, and God was with us and delivered us out of that. Maybe we're walking into a season of life for the very first time where we've not experienced this type of pain or depression or, or separation, and we're asking God to be with us, and we're clinging to Him. Well, as we look in Psalm 63 today, we're going to see the words of King David, and King David is going through a pretty serious time in his life. We don't know specifically the moment, but we do know that as he's writing this psalm, he's fleeing to the wilderness. Most likely, he's either running away from King Saul, or he's actually running away from his own son, Absalom, who wanted to take the throne by force. Either way, there was all kinds of discord in his house. Now, part of it was his fault. As we see, uh, you know, committing adultery with Bathsheba led to a lot of issues in his family. Okay? He brought some of that sin upon himself, but some, uh, we don't even know the other aspects of his life that were just part of the human falling condition. Issues in his life that uh, as a king that he had to deal with, sitting on the throne of Israel. But what we do know is he flees to the wilderness. And the desert has a physical and spiritual aspect to it that we need to understand. All right, physically speaking, if you've ever been in the desert for a long time, it's a weary place. It does a lot to your body and to your soul. I only lived in California for about a year and a half when I was 26. So it was about 10 years ago. And it was the year I got saved. And, you know, it's funny, it's also the year that I was physically in the desert and spiritually in the desert. I remember, now I lived in Northern California, where it was a lot greener, but again, I was working in baseball for the Oakland A's, and we were in the California League, so the southern cities that we would go to were right in smack in the middle of the desert. So I would, I would fall asleep on the team bus at about 10 o'clock at night, I'd wake up about 6 a.m., and I'd open my eyes and look out the window, and we were in the middle of absolutely nowhere. In fact, we pulled into this one town 
uh, it was called Adelanto, California. A big sign said, City of Possibilities. And I just looked at the guy sitting next to me. I said, what possibilities? There's nothing here. There was a 7-Eleven three miles down the road, and that was pretty much it. And I even questioned why 7-Eleven would want to be in the middle of nowhere. And I just remember looking out the window in my hotel before we went, took the team bus to the stadium and thinking, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing in Southern California in the middle of nowhere? Physically, I was in a desert, but then spiritually, God led me into a season of desert wilderness where I began to question my life. God, why, why are things happening in my life the way that they are? Are you real? God, are you real? And if you're real, I want to know who you are. And it was in that season of pain and that season of depression that I called out to God. And it was, the, it was the season that I got saved. I had no idea, by the way, that God would ever lead me into ministry. All I wanted to do at the time was get out of the desert. Well, David is in the desert, all right? And as David is, is singing this, the, these words of lament, he's also praising God at the same time because David knows God. And David's experienced the love and the presence of God. And as David goes into the wilderness, he realizes that only God's presence will elevate him from what he's experiencing in the desert. So I think David can teach us three things about the way God satisfies the thirsty soul. And so the first of those three things is this. Number one, I believe God satisfies the thirsty soul who seeks after his steadfast love. All right? God satisfies the thirsty soul who seeks after his steadfast love. Let's read verses one through four. Again, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Now, let's go back to verse 1, and let's just dine upon his word, bite by bite, word by word, verse by verse. He says in the very beginning of verse 1, O God, you are my God. You are my God. This, this means David has a personal relationship with the living creator of all things heaven and earth. He's not just a God. He's not even just the God. He is my God. He is my God. David has been with God, and David knows there's nothing like it. Once you've experienced the real thing, nothing else will work. But look what he says next. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, he's in the desert, so he probably is going without water, so he is physically parched. But even in the moment where he's probably seeking water, more than that, he's seeking God. He's saying, God, my soul thirsts and my, my flesh faints for you. David's soul is thirsty because he's in desperate need of God in the midst of a crisis. Every human being on this side of heaven is either going into a crisis or coming out of a crisis. Every single one of us in this room, because we live in a fallen world, because we are sinners ourselves and we make bad choices, because our friends, family, and neighbors are also sinners and they make bad choices. We're fallible, error-prone error human beings. And because of that, we walk into chaos and crisis. 
and we also come out of it. We live in a world also where there is physical death and separation, and we don't know when those things are going to happen. And because of that, we're always in the midst of walking into a crisis or walking out of a crisis. And what do you do when you hit that crisis? What do you do? Can I tell you what I used to do when I was younger before I knew God? I would self-medicate myself through television. Hours upon hours upon hours of TV. When I was in my 20s, it was sports. Now, I worked in sports, so it was great to go to the ballpark every day. But if I worked for three straight weeks and finally had a day off, I'd go to another ballpark. It was ridiculous. Now, I still love sports, but man, I was searching for something that balls and strikes and home runs can't offer. They can't offer it. Where do you go? Where do you go in your moment of crisis? Again, God gives us many wonderful things. Maybe there's people in your life that you run to, and there's nothing wrong with that. God gives us the great encouragers of our lives, great family members that we can cling to, but there will always be that still, small moment in the middle of the night, you guys know what I'm talking about, where you stare at the shadows on the wall, and you wonder how you got where where you're at and how you're going to get where you're going. And it's in those moments, those dry moments, those dark moments where God is calling us to cling to him, to cling to his steadfast love. David knew that love, and he wasn't going to let anything separate him from that love. And you know why? Because, see, he, he had a vision of the power and glory of God. King David found joy and comfort in remembering the sanctuary of the temple. All right, he worshiped God. I know that God is spirit, and we don't physically see him with, his eye, with our eyes, but we see manifestations of God's power and glory everywhere when we're, we're opening our eyes to what it is that God is doing. And, and, and in the temple, in the Old Testament, there was the Holy of Holies, and he saw these manifestations of God's amazing, abiding, powerful presence, and he desired to see that more than anything else in the world. He had a vision of the power and the glory. How do we find that, that same vision? Because again, we don't, this is not the Old Testament temple. You know what the temple of the Holy Spirit is? It's us. When you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and you see manifestations of his power and glory when you see people who are being molded and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But how do we seek after his steadfast love? I think in a lot of ways we do it by reminding ourselves of moments of our life that God has done a miracle, that God has shown up, that God has moved in a very special way. Because you know what? As human beings, we forget pretty quickly some of the most amazing things that God does in our life. You know, this week I was in my office, and I have all these spiral notebooks. Kind of drives Ashley a little bit nuts. Uh, since about 2006, well before I ever met her, I, ha- I keep a one-subject spiral notebook, and it's just, it just says a label on it. It says, Bo's Personal Notes. And it could be anything in there. Sometimes it's a, a journal entry about something that God's doing in my life. A lot of times it's lists. I'm a lister. I am a pathological lister. I have lists for my lists. Uh, so there's all kinds of things in that notebook. But I went back to a notebook that I had in 2008 when I lived in northern Pennsylvania. It was, one, it was again, it was, I had already become a believer in Christ, but it was early on in my journey. I was miserable. I was making good money. I was a marketing director for a network of hospitals, and I thought money and, 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 and just this career with promise was going to give me all the joy that baseball couldn't give me because I wasn't really making a lot of money working in baseball, and I was traveling all over the place. I had no stability. But I remember reading in that journal. I went back and read it this week. And one of the journal entries, I said, God, you are with me. 
and you've put this desire in my heart to move back to Georgia. And I don't know what awaits me there. I don't know where I'm going or how it's all going to work out. But you know my heart because you've given me this dream, and I pray you would bring it to fruition. That was six months before I moved back to South Georgia in 2008. Didn't have a job. All my friends at Georgia Southern had moved away. I graduated in 2003. This was about six or seven years later. But God showed up. All right. Part of that was me doing hard manual labor for several months, waiting for something different to open up. But I, I, it was a blessing to have that job at the Walmart distribution center. And then this job opens up at Pineland Telephone. I walk into this office, and this man named Eddie Jones is sitting there at the table next to Scotty Davis. And they start drilling me with all these questions. And even before they said their first word, I said, God, that job's mine. I'll do whatever I have to do because I know you've opened this door for me. But you know what? Now in these seasons of my life, I go back and say, God, look what you did there. You had to do that. No one else could have done that. No one else could have brought me all the way from Pennsylvania to Georgia and just open up a job which didn't exist prior to me being there and doesn't exist now. No one else has ever held that job at Pineland as director of broadcast operations. God conjured that job out of thin air so that I would have an opportunity to move into this community, meet my wife, find an amazing church family, and begin this journey of ministry. That God did all that. And if I, if I don't stop and remember, I'll forget. And I, I may go seeking after things that will fill me in a way that only God can, because it's God who's been doing it all along. Praise God for what it is that He does. So again, number one, God satisfies the thirsty soul who seeks after his steadfast love. In fact, let me use one more illustration before we move on to point number two. How many here, show of hands, saw the Chicago Cubs win the World Series? Amen. First time in 108 years. Praise God. That fan base was thirsty. 108 years desiring after something. And God has created us in such a way that we're always looking for something bigger than ourselves. Always. That's how we're wired. And when we see something bigger than ourselves, we want to praise it. God has wired us that he would be the one that is bigger than ourselves, and he would be the one that we praise. But instead, we go looking after these other things in life that are bigger than us that we can praise as well. And they're not wrong, but they're incomplete. I'll tell you what I mean. So Ashley and I, on, on Thursday, we were flipping through the channels, and we saw a replay of the, the uh, victory parade in Chicago for the Cubs. They said there were over 5 million people in this parade, eight miles long, 5 million people. They said the largest single gathering of Americans in human history. Think about that. 5 million people on an eight-mile stretch. They were, they were looking for something bigger than themselves that they could praise and be a part of. And I was excited. Hey, the first job I ever got out of college was with the Chicago Cubs. They're near and dear to my heart. But can I tell you something else? That was on Thursday. I guarantee they're all going to wake up Monday morning and their, their souls are going to be thirsty again. Because the, the only one who can satisfy that thirst is God himself. And that leads us to our second point. God satisfies the thirsty soul, soul who meditates on his powerful presence. All right, verses 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. 
For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I'm going to run through some of this quickly here. I know that the hour is getting long. In verse 5, it says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. How many, of us, how many of us in this room have had a good meal? Last night, I had a good meal. You had a good meal too, didn't you? I was coming out of a restaurant as the O'Briens were going in, and I told him he was going to have a good meal. Uh, I, I don't get steak very often, but when I do, I savor every bite. And I had a steak last night, one of the best steaks I ever had in my life. And when I got home, I laid in bed, and I savored every bite of that steak. It was good. It was really good. We've all had that experience, right? You, you had a desire and a need, and that need was filled, that rich food, and it sits in your stomach, and you just sit back on that couch, that recliner, or that bed, and just say, mm, amen. David's saying the same thing. My soul has a desire for a T-bone steak, and only you can satisfy me the way a steak would satisfy my stomach. So it is that your love satisfies my soul. David loved God. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart because he knew that God had his heart. God can satisfy our soul like an amazing meal, satisfies our mouth and our stomach. You know, I was hoping Joel would be in here. I think he's in the back. Joel and I have this constant argument about the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia. We're both Italian. We're both from Philly. We both argue about food all the time. All right? I say it's Leo's cheesesteaks, and he says it's D'Alessandro's. Well, the reason why we'll never agree is because I came to Leo's cheesesteaks at a time where I was hungry. And I had an 18-inch extra cheese cheesesteak with all the ketchup and cheese you could put on one bun. And it satisfied my soul. <laughs> Joel has eaten a lot of cheesesteaks in his day, and he had the same experience at Delisandro. So for the rest of our lives, this argument will never end. Because you know what you can't do is go back and change my experience. All right, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. Now, why is it that I believe in God and specifically in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I believe it theologically because the Bible proves itself to be true over and over and over again. But after all the theological arguments end, I can say this. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He has been faithful to me, more faithful than I've ever been to Him. I've experienced the living God just just tastes, just shadows of what it's going to be like in heaven. And I just want more. I want to be around people who know and love God and yearn for Him the way that I do. And I want my yearning to make them yearn and their yearning to make me yearn. And you know, that's why we come together in corporate worship. I had a friend of mine years ago when I worked at Pineland who said, I don't need to come to church. What I have between me and God and that deer stand is special. And I said, you know what? Praise God that you're worshiping him in that deer stand. But there's something special about coming into his house and yearning and worshiping alongside others who are experiencing the same thing. We are called to be a body of Christ together as believers. God satisfies the soul who meditates on his powerful presence. And third and finally, God satisfies the thirsty soul who rejoices in his eternal justice. This is really important. Stay with me. Verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. 
They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. One of the reasons that we have thirsty souls is because we live in a world that is not just, and we are seeking justice. How many times in your life has something gone wrong, and the first thing you want to do is make it right? Somebody has damaged your reputation over something that you may not have even said or done, and, and you're so troubled by that, you just want to go and clear the air? All right, Facebook is full of this. People who either are, are attacking someone or trying to resolve somebody who's attacking them, and you go through so many different issues, and, and you just beg God to make, make it right. Make it right. I, I have felt that in my own life. People putting words in my mouth and saying things that I never said or, or opportunities that I long for in ministry that, that I don't want I, I to seek out myself, but I want God to bring at the right time. And I'm satisfied by reminding myself that it is God who does the work. I just need to trust in Him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to man. All the injustices that have ever happened to you in your life should not lead you to an unsatisfied soul, but you can find satisfaction and joy and comfort that what is wrong, God will eventually make right. Always, every time, without fail. For those who have been done wrong, you may never see it. Maybe on this side of heaven, you may not even see it. But God's a God of justice. He will always take what's wrong and make it right. Whatever's happened in the darkness will eventually come to light. And I know you want to be there when it happens. I do too. I love it at the end of movies when the bad guy gets caught. I love it. We love those things. We love justice. But we may not be around when justice is finally served for the ones who have hurt us the most. But we can be satisfied in a God who is a God of justice. And he will take what is wrong and he will make it right. So our conclusion is this. Only God can satisfy your thirsty soul. Will you seek after his love, meditate on his presence, and rejoice in his justice? Let me say that again. Only God can satisfy your thirsty soul. Will you seek after his love, meditate on his presence, and rejoice in his justice? Let me me take just a few seconds on each one. His love. He created you for a loving relationship with him. He demonstrated that love on the cross when he offered redemption and restoration through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has love that he wants to give you. Sin has gotten in the way. Jesus Christ is the solution to what has gotten in the way. Both in our salvation, because we cannot come to God apart from Christ, but also in our daily walk with the Lord. When sin gets in the way, we don't experience the love of God because there's conflict in our relationship with our Creator. And that's why repentance and confession every week of our lives is so important. If you say, I don't know God's love, how much have you been going to the throne to repent and confess of your sin and be cleansed? You know why David knew it? Read Psalm 51. Cleanse me, God. Cleanse me with hyssop. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a new heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David went back to the throne over and over and over. His sins were as bad as you could possibly imagine. He was an adulterer and he was an accomplice to murder. But he constantly went back to the throne and through that renewal, he he understood the love of God. He experienced it. 
and we can too. What about his presence? Through the abiding Holy Spirit, we not only have a God who is near us, we have a God who is in us. And how do we experience that? You got to get quiet. And most times you got to get alone. We got ourselves into a big, busy mess in this world. And we're just not quiet and we're just not alone enough to hear God as we read his word and we listen to the guidance of his spirit. If you don't know his presence, you got to get quiet enough to know it. He doesn't scream in the storms. He whispers. That's how God speaks. And then finally, his justice. Again, all vengeance for injustice of the world belongs to God and God alone. If you're wrestling with something right now because of something that happened in your family or at your job or in your neighborhood, someone has done you wrong, you feel like something has to be made right. Somebody has to pay for what has happened. I need to be justified and rectified in this situation. Step away completely. Step, take your hands off of it completely. Offer it up to God and say, God, you are a God of justice. And what is wrong, I'm going to trust that you will make right. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. If we seek his love and his presence and his justice, God promises he alone will satisfy our thirsty soul. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day. Father, we have thirsty souls. Our hearts are desire factories, Father. And let us not desire and thirst after things that can't bring us the satisfaction that your love and your presence and your justice can bring. Be with us, Father. If there's anyone in this room who's been seeking after meaning and purpose in life, who is stuck in a deep depression, a frustration, and can't seem to get out of this funk, Father, I pray they would cry out to you. If they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray they would confess sin, move in their heart and in their, in their life right now, Father removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh so that they would know that they're a sinner and confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead as Lord and Savior. Father, if there's anyone in this room who does know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would lead them into repentance and faith and trust that you are a God who loves, that you are a God who's present, and that you are a God who will seek and bring vengeance and justice to all the injustice of the world. Father, be with us at this time, I pray. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.